Amen. What a pretty song. I hope everybody else was able to hit that hidden just right then. (laughs) Yep. Nailed it. Glad you guys are here with us. Today we're going to be kind of flip-flopping a little bit. We're going to think about thankfulness. And to do that, even though we're in James, we're going to start back in 1 Thessalonians. I know. And then we'll jump into James to kind of open our hearts up a little bit more and see this. So please... Turn or tap your way to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. David read these verses for us just a second ago. We're going to read them again and think through them. In order to get to what I think is a huge gap in the Christian experience, the Christian landscape, I don't think thankfulness has found its home in the Christian walk like it should, especially in our lives, our culture. So you get to think... Giving And unlike Christmas or Easter, which have Christmas services and Easter services to kind of keep the ideas behind those holidays right in your face, incarnation, resurrection, they're right there as they should. I don't think Thanksgiving needs to be up there in that same sort of pantheon. However, when it comes to Thanksgiving, all I can think of is the gobble till you wobble kind of idea. It's there for food. We just started getting Bon Appetit magazine. You get the Bon Appetit Thanksgiving issue. You start seeing all the little baking shows that Rachel and I like to watch on YouTube and whatnot coming out with their Thanksgiving stuff. And they're not talking about a disposition of a heart of thankfulness, are they? (laughs) No, they're talking about how to make stuffing out of sour bread. They're talking about how to get that turkey to not to be dry somehow. They're They're thinking about... Why and how it's so possible for cranberries, when do you ever eat cranberries, to taste good with turkey. I don't know how those go together, but they do. And Thanksgiving generally is about us enjoying those flavors rather than what's on the billboard. Thanksgiving. So I'm going to use today to really try and put the word thankfulness into our lives. I want us to be thinking about it all the time because it is something that will get you out of a thousand different scrapes. It'll keep you worshiping when everything else starts to dim, and it's going to make your heart healthy. Even if you have a heart that's black like mine, full of sin, it will make your heart healthy. Here's how. Let's dig in. First Thessalonians. Chapter 5, 16 through 18, all very short. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. We talked about God's will being our sanctification. And here he's stating the same thing in another way. There's a clarity to it. Rejoice, pray, give thanks... And there's a continuity to it. Look at it. Always, without ceasing, in all circumstances. How are you doing? Are you 100% on all of these things happening all the time? That's crazy. When I read verses like this, I just think of uh, just sort of impossible commands from God. Of course, he doesn't actually anticipate us praying without ceasing or rejoicing always or giving thanks in all circumstances. This must be hyperbole, right? 
Because I imagine each of these things being an act of the will, a squeezing out of effort such that they kind of are produced in my life. It's like some like doing weights or something. Like I've, I've got to be doing this. And you want me to do it always? Without ceasing? In all circumstances? That's foolish. Of course not. Unless you understand it for what it is. Unless you can see it the way that I think Paul sees it. He's seeing what he's saying from a gospel perspective, from an Old Testament perspective. He's thinking about a spring that flows with water always. Now, I don't know what you know about springs. All I know about springs, like water coming out of the ground, springs, I learned from like poetry. I don't actually know anything about the science of it. Went to the USGS on their website, and it talks about how springs come from sort of a hole in the ground where groundwater is coming up and out and then rolling down. There's a, a place where groundwater, water that's under the ground, is coming up and out, and that's where you see these little springs, these beautiful little springs. When we go on hikes, we see them every now and again. And apparently they can range a great deal. Sometimes they're just little intermittent seeps, which only flow after a lot of rain falls. But other times they're huge pools. From USGS, huge pools flowing hundreds of millions of gallons daily. The idea is there's all of this water. There's this groundwater. And all the spring is... It's just a hole where that water is flowing out into the world. Here's the difference. If thankfulness, prayer, giving, thank, uh, rejoicing in all always. I got confused there. Praying, giving thanks, and rejoicing. If those are acts of the will, if they're actions that you're constantly doing, then yeah, you're going to stop. But if they are the effect of something else, if instead of being a weightlifter, you're a spring where God's goodness and his glory and his grace flow through you out into the world, then the quality of your thankfulness, rejoicing and prayer is all about your whole. Are you focused on him and is what he is flowing out and through you? If that's the case, now we've got something to look at. Now we've got something to work on because these commands are actually something that can be lived out in your life. They're not just impossible things you put on a locker room door and everybody gets excited about without really ever anticipating coming to fruition. So how do we do it? First, I want us to think about thankfulness specifically. I want to try and build up our idea of why it might be a good thing, a precious thing, so that we'll be that much more motivated to find where the blockage might be in the first place, why you might want to be more thankful. Two, the thankful person, the world becomes precious. So we got Sunset Coffee right here. Salt Mine has this unparalleled view of the sunset over the Salt Lake Valley. It's beautiful. And I was here for something sometime in the last maybe week or two. And as I was watching the sunset, you know, you stop for a second and enjoy it. And I had a thought I'd never had before, which was, what if the sun was setting and it didn't come up tomorrow? Meaning, 
What if right now I was watching the last sunset that would ever happen? That's pretty dark. But the reason I was thinking about it was, like, these things are so precious, but I lose some of the preciousness because they're also so repeated. Like, I'm familiar with them, and that familiarity is breeding, I don't know about contempt, but at least sort of a dismissiveness. Well, yeah, that just always happens. No, it's miraculous. It's glorious. It's beautiful. Yeah, and it's also daily. But what if it wasn't so daily? And as I'm watching it, what if I am really in knowledge, knowing that this is the last sunset, watching the sun go down? Boy, you'd really drink it in, wouldn't you? I mean, you'd be terrified about what happens next, but you would also be watching. You'd be thankful. There'd be that moment where you realize that while it is something that is happening in you, around you, to you, it's not something that has to happen. It's something that is happening, but it's happening by the will of another. It's something that's being brought about in the sense of being given or gifted to you. And in that knowledge, you begin to have a thankfulness. That thankfulness is like the sun itself and how it warms you up. That light begins to invade everywhere and take something that is cold and dark and make it into something that is light and warm. We have a little puppy. The puppy is trying to learn to sleep through the night with moderate success. Two nights ago, I took the puppy out at 3 a.m. and I'm in a parka. I took the puppy out again at 3 p.m., and I'm in a T-shirt. What's the difference? The sun comes up, and that light warms everything. This is the thankfulness I'm talking about. This is the joy I'm hoping you will feel and experience, the, the gift that you'll start to see in the miracles that are happening all around you all the time. If I see these things around me not just as happening or just as beautiful, but as blessings, as, as gifts intentional things given, they take on a whole different character. If the grass is green on purpose, then now the grass has been drawn like your child draws you a picture. It could have been red like lava or black like space, but instead it's green, lush, full. It's cool even when the sun is boiling hot. It's filled with life and it's giving life to all the little animals that eat it. You live in a world of delight. You might, if you could start to see things that way, be as worshipful when you're watching the grass grow as when you're climbing the mountains. Why are you not? Well, you could say repetition has begun to breed this sort of familiarity, this, this contempt. But man, I think there are other reasons. I think you've given up on thankfulness. I think we have given up on a practiced idea of thankfulness, realizing what's really happening around us, seeing that groundswell of water that God's put into the, the blessings that he's given us. If you were thankful, you would live in a world of delights. If you were thankful, you would see the other people around you as opportunities rather than competitors. Here's what I mean by that. If... I see in my life blessings that lead me to a contentment bordering on the ridiculous that I'm not looking out on the world as a place that I need to get something from. 
If I'm a spring with this groundswell of water that's filling out millions of gallons a day, I don't know, how much water do you need? How much water do you drink? You've seen the lifters that carry around a gallon jug? There's two people that drink lots and lots of water. They're gigantic dudes that are like really, really jacked and creatined up or whatever. And then they're like really tiny girls that carry these giant gallon things of water around with them because they were told somewhere that you have to deep, you know, I don't know, drink an ounce for every pound you weigh or whatever. And they were drinking 200 pounds of water. It's impossible. How much water do you really need? If the blessings that God gives you fill you to contentment and then overflowing, then the people that are around you are not competition for a limited amount of resources. When I'm confident to overflowing, I'm able to look at other people and see their need as something that I could possibly help with rather than looking outside of myself, trying to find something that will satisfy me and seeing everybody else as competitors for those limited resources. I want you to think for a second about how often you see everybody else around you as in your way. It's easy to think about it with traffic. I know this is megalomaniacal or whatever, but if you ever watch that movie, The Truman Show, he tries to go somewhere and the, the God in the heavens doesn't want him to get there and so all of a sudden all the actors pull out in front of him and slow down. Do you know what I'm talking about? Google it. Watch it tonight. It's worth it. Uh, It's like all the people on this island are coordinating to stop him from getting where he wants to go. I cannot tell you how many times I've legitimately wondered if I'm in the Truman Show because when I want to get right there, all of a sudden, ten people, and one of them's really old, and one of them doesn't know what's going on, and the third one's texting, and like everybody's going way below the speed limit. You don't have to go drastically above the speed limit, but at least... Go the speed limit. Why are they slowing me down? Realistically, they're not. Realistically, I'm living without thankfulness. I'm living without contentment. And I see whatever that next thing is as something that I need. And so these people that are in the way are now my enemies. Do you wonder why it's so hard for you to feel love for other people? I think this plays into it. If you need, then you have this vacuum that's always trying to be filled. Josh was talking about it just a minute ago. I, when I was younger, saw a documentary about some guys in the UK who had this weird metabolism issue. And because of that weird metabolism issue, they were eating all day long. And they were in school, I remember, they were in high school, and it's UK, so it's like everything's the same but different. It's England, right? But they're in this schoolroom, and you can tell it's a schoolroom, same but different, and they were eating the whole class period. And I remember, uh, I don't remember where I saw it or how to look it up or anything, but I remember very clearly that what they were eating had this weird sort of medical sort of look to the packaging. So, I mean, it was like potato chips and granola bars and stuff, but it had like a weird packaging to it. And they're eating all through class. And I remember thinking to myself, how lucky to have a doctor's note to eat 24-7? Oh, my gosh, that would be fantastic. I'm trying to do that currently. If only I had medical you know, permission to be doing this all the time. Then, of course, you reflect further. Because the documentary wasn't presenting these guys as the winners of genetic lottery. 
Imagine what it would be to actually be eating constantly and never be full. There's an opposite side to contentment. There's an opposite side to thankfulness. To always be eating and never be full is not heaven. It's hell. Process that for a moment. We need thankfulness. If we can't gain thankfulness, we'll end up with whatever the opposite is. And here's the biggest reason I want you to want thankfulness. If everything around you is a gift, then there is a giver. Now, my kids, elementary school, they gave them like a calendar of thankfulness for November. And every day they're supposed to say thank you for something else. And they get a different category and they have to come up with something in that category to be thankful for. And it's from the school. So they're not allowed to talk much about who you're thankful to. They're just telling you different things that you can be thankful for. Do you understand, though, that in the church, in Christianity, we're able to say who you're thankful to? Looking around you, realizing that you don't have to have the things that you do have, then the things that you do have are a gift. If they're a gift, is there not a giver? And we're going to talk about why that's important for us experientially, but I also want you to think about why it's important apologetically. One of the great writers in Christian apologetics for the last hundred years is this guy, G.K. Chesterton. And he became a Christian because there was a point with sort of the pessimistic um, intellectual climate in England when he, when he was writing and thinking and in, in college. Everything was just so pessimistic, so meaningless, so Ecclesiastes. And then he just realizes, but nothing has to exist. That things do exist is a gift. If there's a gift, should there not be a giver? He says it much better. He says, the test of all happiness is gratitude, and I felt grateful, though I hardly knew to whom. Children are grateful when Santa Claus puts in their stockings gifts of toys or sweets. Could I not be grateful to Santa Claus when he put in my stockings the gift of two miraculous legs? We thank people for the birthday presents of, uh, I don't know, maybe these are gum cigars. Surely he wasn't a smoker. And slippers. (laughs) Can I thank no one for the birthday present of birth? Oh, think about it. Go there. We have the blessing of knowing something about the one that we're looking to. If I have a gift, I don't just have this lovely thing. I have a lovely someone who's given it. thought about this the other day. If I buy myself a thing, I have the thing. If you buy me a thing... Well, I have more money because I didn't have to buy it. But I also have not only the thing, but the love behind you giving me a gift. In our marriage, maybe eight of the years, we've been a single-income house. That means for eight years, every Father's Day, birthday, anniversary, and then just because, when Rachel gets me a gift, I'm buying me a gift. There's just one bank account. There's no other income source. I paid for whatever's coming in this box. But can I tell you that it's just marvelous? If I buy me pants, I have pants. But if she buys me pants, then I have pants. Those pants are filled with love. Somebody of my size, lots and lots of love. (laughs) She picked them. I know she picked them, and she picked them for me. 
So the pants almost become immaterial because the love outshines it. Do you see? Do you understand that God is giving you these gifts? And I don't want you to miss the greatest thing he's given because, and if you are thinking about this actually, you're going to start to think about this big objection. Look at James 1 for a second. 17 and 18. We talked a little bit about it briefly uh, last week or two weeks ago. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. That's kind of what we've been talking about. These gifts, these perfect things that are coming down are coming down from above. They're coming from a one, this one who is beautiful, the one who is good. And then in the background of verse 18, we get this objection answered. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. He's saying these gifts are coming from a good God, and yet, while there are so many things that we should be thankful for, there are many things we have that we want to give back. Yes, you can be optimistic. Yes, you can get excited about the sunrise or the sunset or the grass and the air that you breathe. You can be happy about a million different relationships and a million different blessings. And you live in a world where things are broken. You live in a world that has given you a lot of things you would love to give back. If the sum total of everything you've got is from God, it leaves many people, admittedly, in a posture of ingratitude to believe that God is not good. What do we do with that? Well, again, I said it's sort of in the background of verse 18, but the idea is that he's not just leaving us with some good things and many broken things. He's, in fact, given to his, given to Christians, not only a view of the good giver, but a sort of double vision for how all things will be one day. It's just surprisingly sober to see how Christianity admits the goodness of God and the brokenness of this world. I don't know if you've been reading the Bible, but if you do read the Bible, it's surprising how perceptive the Bible is about the subtleties of the goodness of the Holy God and the weird, broken, shadowy subtleties of the sin of us as people, the brokenness of the world we've broken. Man, you're able to see a, a sort of double vision. There's, there's this concept of being between two worlds when you're in Christ. In Christ, I do see all the blessings of what he's given me, but I also see the world as broken. I see that. And yet, at the same time, I'm seeing what will be. He talks about us being a sort of first fruits, and that's similar to what's said in 2 Thessalonians 2. Paul says, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved in the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. What is he talking about? First fruits, first fruits, the beginning of a harvest, the inbreaking of an invasion. Think for a second about how Jesus talks to his disciples about what it is that he's doing. There's a very famous place where he says, but who do you say that I am? He's asking the disciples, what is everybody thinking about me? How's this um, ministry hitting people? 
I'm saying a lot of stuff. They don't seem to be getting it totally. What do people say about me? And they start throwing out some ideas. Here's what people say that you are. Some people say you're this. Some people say you're that. And then Jesus cuts through and he says, but who do you say that I am? And out of nowhere, in this moment of clarity, Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus responds, oh man, good job, Peter. Blessed are you. And on this rock, I'm going to build my church. Now there's a whole Catholic thing we can talk about there. But look at what he's really saying. I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, as a Christian, you can sort of see the world a lot like a fairy tale. We're not just seeing people and we're not just seeing materialism. We're seeing people, but we're also seeing dragons. We're seeing people, but we're also seeing little princes or little princesses that are held captive. We're seeing a world, but we're also seeing a world that goes all the way up into this unimaginable heaven and goes all the way down into this pit. And what he's saying here is that what Christ has come to do, slow like the snow, but what Christ has come to do is to land like a meteor and become a cornerstone. A stone of a church. And this church, this rock, he's building other stones upon. You and I become like living stones in a living temple that's building. Peter talks a lot about that. Jesus talks a lot about it when he talks about Peter. But look at what he's saying in this specific passage when he says, The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I asked a guy, that was the only like Christian scholar that I was around growing up, what this gates of hell thing meant. And he said, oh, this is very impressive because the gates... Because they're the place where people go in and out are the place where cities would fortify the most. They're going to do everything they can to protect that gate. That's going to be the most strongly held, the most intensely defended part of any city and any city's walls. So to say that the gates of hell are not going to prevail against us, it's saying that the strongest point of hell is not going to beat God's church. Well, amen. But that doesn't really capture the motion of this verse. When we're going against the gates of hell, the gates don't move. It means that we're storming hell. It means that God in Christ has not only brought about this beginning of salvation, not only brought about this beginning of sunrise, this resurrection that took place in himself, he's also inbreaking through us into the world. The invasion that's taking place is not the invasion of hell into heaven. It's the invasion of heaven into hell. And by Christ, you become agents of heaven. You become warriors. You become men riding on horses in the battle, in the army of Christ. Thankfulness. This is what we're talking about. I am not only now thankful for what God has done and is doing. I'm thankful for what he will do. I have a view not only of how things are, but how things are in clarity. This is not pie-in-the-sky religion. It's not this idea that I don't see the bad things. I do, but I also see what God will do through Christ in us to make those bad things come untrue. So I'll become thankful. And do you see how this then drives my evangelism? Thanksgiving Day, stopped by Carl's Jr., Got to talk to this lovely, wonderful lady. 
asking her about her Thanksgiving. She's able to tell me some, some hard stuff. Nobody behind us, by the way. <laughs> it's not like I was doing this 45-minute gospel presentation while a line of people are at Carl's Jr. There's not that many people at Carl's Jr. on Thursday mornings. But, but while we're chatting and talking, I'm able to give her that card with the gospel in the back of it and just chat with her a little bit. And she's telling me a little bit of her past, and I'm able to look at her and think. Think about how God sees this little lady. Rebel, absolutely. But also the possibility that he, through Christ, could redeem this woman. That she could then become like a first fruits of God's glory, walking around this world. Hated, sure. Marginalized, certainly. And shining like the sun. How does that happen? Through this word of truth, as we share what God has done for us in Christ. So brothers and sisters, yes, I want you to be thankful, but not as an exercise. It's not like your watch goes off every eight minutes and you say, okay, what's something else to be thankful for? The goal is to not only be a believer, but to have your eyes so fixed on God to see the magnitude of that groundwater so that millions of gallons are flowing through you daily to change this world. Do you see? Oh, if you see him, if you understand this gospel, then, yes, rejoice always. Give thanks in all circumstances. Pray without ceasing. And see what God does through you. Lord and Heavenly Father, please, please teach us about what Christ has done to forgive us for our sin. Coming to live a perfect life, die a sinner's death, and make a way for sinners now to have your perfection put on us. Lord, by faith, I pray that many of us who have uh, received you, have accepted you, have called on your name, would continue to call on your name in gratefulness and in thankfulness, Lord. Have us be a people growing up into this temple, into this living temple, this invasion force, filled with joy and rejoicing, full to contentment and overflowing, so that the world sees and knows you and your goodness. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen.